tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. As any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church, that's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Well, hello. It's, I think it's Tuesday. I'm absolutely positive it's Tuesday, at least most of the day. So let's, a man with a finger on the pulse of events, as, as it were. Let's pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, we shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things, and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. Do thou, Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan, all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. By the way, this is not a letter show. We'll be opening the phones uh, and toward toward the middle of the show at 888-914-9149. That said... Um, we are going to uh, uh, open the big book on the coffee table. You know the one. All right, where was I? I was looking at the Bible. Okay, looking at the Bible. Where did I put the Bible? Ah, there it is. All right. <sighs> yes. Yeah, the voice my head just pointed out. It's on the on the, on the in the computer on the coffee table. All right. We're we're talking about the book of Maccabees and um. The book of Maccabees is, is um, uh, you know, one of those disputed books that talks about uh, um, a period of history that is, is between the Old Testament and the New Testament, kind of. It, it's a period of, uh, of history in the, in, the, in, the, in the second century before Christ. And, and uh, I got a very kind letter from uh, Monsignor Dempsey. Uh, about uh, pointing out that uh, the 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 saints of the Old Testament and the 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 martyrology these these count heroes from the the uh, uh, from the the Old Testament and 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 the Book of Acts. I mean, this is a great book, and I guess I guess the problem is I'm going to have to study this uh, note I got from Monsignor Dempsey, uh, but. Most of the major patriarchs and prophets are commemorated in the Roman Martyrology. The Roman Martyrology, it's the list of, of uh, Roman saints. And um, this whole idea of, of Old Testament saints, everybody gets all upset about it because what they weren't canonized. And the, no, but there's this general awareness of the, of the holiness of God. We, we think of ourselves in a religion that's 2,000 years old. We're in a religion that's, that's 4,000 years old in, and eternal uh, we believe that jesus uh, 
the Lord fulfilled uh, the prophecies of the Old Testament. And so uh, people like to see this, these absolute distinctions, and they're not really there. Uh, and we'll be talking about that later in the letters. Um, but uh, we get, I get asked about the saints of the Old Testament, where the church honors them in the liturgy. And yeah, we do. And and we have a great saint in in uh, today's reading. Um, the the um, where were we? Uh, we have the um, Eleazar. This is a man who was of advanced age, uh, who refused to eat pork. Now I said yesterday, and talking about the liturgy in the mass hysteria segment about. You know, that, that you, before we launch into almost any topic about anything, we have to read First Samuel, the 15th chapter, that, and where we read that rebellion is a sin like, uh, like witchcraft, um, uh, that obedience is, is more pleasing to the Lord than sacrifice. And we live in times in which, well, <laughs> we live in revolting times, <laughs> pun intended, uh, that, that if I don't agree with you, you are bad. Um, and the dialogue has become completely unreasonable. And that's on both sides of the argument. And and I think we have to realize that we are an obedient people. And the scriptures tell us civil authorities, even civil authorities that are not Christian, the only time that we, we don't rebel, but we refuse to comply when we are mandated by a government to violate one of the Ten Commandments. And we can't elevate ourselves to, to, uh, uh, to be the, the, the infallible arbiters of morality as individuals. So, in what situations must we not comply with the government? We see in this reading from Second Maccabees, Eliezer says, Should I go down to my grave in dishonor, having uh, um, causing scandal for a few more months of life? He should be well. Uh, I will prove myself worthy of my old age, and I will leave to the young a noble example of how to die willingly and generously for the revered and holy laws. So, in what situations do we say no to legitimately constant, even legitimately constituted authority? When we are asked to deny God, the first three commandments are about God. And when we are told we must deny God, well, I can't, sorry, I can't do that. And for Eliezer, at that time in the history of, of salvation, eating pork was... They were asking him not simply to, to eat pork, but to deny the holiness of the God of Israel. And so Eliezer said, you're going to have to kill me because I'm not going to say no to God. After that, if we are told to dishonor our parents. After that, when we are told to commit murder. After that, when we are told to violate uh, the commandment against adultery, which includes all all sexual uh, intimacy uh, with anyone to whom we are not married legitimately. Then we are, if we are told that we must steal, if we are told that we must lie. Um, <clears throat> now about lying, 
I want to have a little a little uh, subtext there. If, say, uh, an oppressive uh, um, authoritarianist government comes knocking at my door and says, is such and such hill here, and you know that they want to uh, arrest and execute them, you can say, no. Remember, Jesus was asked by his relatives if he was going down to Jerusalem. He said no, and then he went down privately. Was he lying? No, he answered the question they were asking. Are you going to start the revolution now so that we can all have good jobs with the government? You're the Messiah. And he said no. In other words, I'm not <laughs> the the Messiah is not going down to the feast. I am, but this this Messiah you've invented is not going down to the feast. So Jesus was answering the question they were saying, so you are permitted to defend life in that regard because you're honestly answering the question that they're asking. They're asking, will you give us permission to enter your house that we can harm someone else? That's a little, what's the word? Not convoluted, but, oh, <laughs> yeah, maybe convoluted is, is the right answer, but but we are not uh, compelled uh, to answer people's questions. But we must not ourselves bear false witness. So if someone tells us we want you to go on a trial and, and uh, uh, implicate such and such a person in a, in a crime, no, we can't. We can't violate uh, the stricture against bearing false witness. And... Um, and we want you to, to cause the impoverishment or the alienation of affections of someone coveting uh, a neighbor's goods or a neighbor's relationships. No, we can't do that. So the Ten Commandments forbid us certain things. But short of that, we this is a hard thing for us, don't tread on me Americans, to believe. But we owe uh, obedience, the scripture says, to legitimately constituted authority. You have to decide in your own conscience if doing something will be a violation of the Ten Commandments. Now, Eliezer in the reading was obeying the the 613 commandments of the law. He was not going to eat pork, and he wouldn't sacrifice incense or honor a, a, a pagan god. Um, it wasn't the pork that was the issue or the incense. It was the honoring of the pagan god and denying the god of Israel. But the thing about Eleazar, or rather the law, the 613 commandments, with the Messiah, the need for those 603 liturgical and restrictive laws, I've told you about there are three kinds of laws. There are the liturgical laws, in, in the Torah, there are the amplifications of the Ten Commandments and then the, the Kuchim, which the laws that make no sense. These laws exist to separate the people of Israel from other people. So, those were fulfilled, we believe, in the coming of the Messiah. Uh, but we still are bound by the Ten Commandments. Um, and and it, that isn't a matter of rebellion or disobedience. We are simply obeying the Lord. The reason that we're compelled still, we can, we can, we can eat all the pork we want. Thank you, Lord. We can eat, you know, we can eat shrimp, crabs, and lobster, which you couldn't eat in, 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 if you're following Torah. Uh, we couldn't eat blood sausage, which would be a great suffering for a German or a Puerto Rican. Uh, we can do all that because the law is fulfilled. But the Ten Commandments flow from the nature of God. God 
is the giver of life. Thou shalt not kill. God is faithfulness. Thou shalt not commit adultery. God is truth. Thou shalt not bear false witness. God is generosity. Thou shalt not steal, and so on. And the Ten Commandments are the fulfillment. Not only they are not only they not only flow from the very nature of God, which is unchangeable and unchanging. They they are the fulfillment of human life. That that to be fully human is to be godlike, to be like God who wants to adopt us. And so we're in right relationship to God. We honor we honor the family. You know, when if we're asked to to do something that is, well, opposed to the honor of family, well, that's one of the Ten Commandments. So you see what I'm trying to drive at. Eliezer was not a rebel. He was being obedient to a higher authority. So I think this is a very a very important that in our resistance to the current age we're not we're not in in rebellion against the current age uh we're not zealots we just owe a higher allegiance and and i think that's important to understand we've so well that said and that's that's not a I, what i'm saying is not popular on either side of the argument the authoritarian you know i <clears throat> you know everybody loves to have political terms Oh, conservative, liberal, that sort of thing. Well, I think a new term is coming into into uh, use, the authoritarians. Authoritarians can be uh, rightist or leftist by different definitions. I, I don't even know that those terms are useful. But the prevailing culture is the, is the authority. And we are in an authoritarian period. In other words, I must recognize, for instance, the whole pronoun thing. I've decided that I'm to be referred to as an it or a, a them or a, pick your pronoun. And you'll actually see serious people uh, talking about uh, their identification, their pronoun, the pronoun identification they, they want. Fine. You can want that all you want. I'm going to call you what I speak English. You're going to be a, she, a he or a she. And if you have a heavy five o'clock shadow, you're going to be he. Uh, that's English. I, that's the language I speak. I don't speak the language that you're speaking. How dare you? I'll sue you. That's the authoritarianist movement. And, and we're in a period of authoritarianism. So we should rebel against it. No, we should be faithful to the Lord which is different. Uh, we don't have to uh, bow to this ridiculousness, but on the other hand, I think it's very important that we see the image of God wherever it appears. And that, that, is, that takes us to the gospel reading. Uh, remember that, that, that uh, in his own image he made them male and female he made them. Every human being you meet bears the image of God. Oh gosh, I'm about to digress terribly, but I love the parable about uh, when they brought Jesus a coin uh, and said, um, is it legal to pay taxes to Caesar? Because this is pertinent to this. No, we don't pay taxes to Caesar. And Jesus said, yes, we do. But he said it in the most interesting way. He said, show me the coin of tribute. And the Pharisees who were asking this question uh, or was I was or was it the Herodians? I forget who was asking the question, but he had them. The minute that they produced a coin, He'd won the argument because coins in the ancient world 
had the images of pagan gods on them and the images of the Caesars who were regarded as, as semi-divine or divine. And what is a good Orthodox Jew carrying an idol around in his pocket, even if that idol is on a coin? So he had them the minute that they produced the coin. And he said, whose image is this? He said, Caesar's. He said, render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. You see, the coinage belonged to Caesar. Uh, and and uh, it was stamped with his image. And you use Caesar's roads, you use Caesar's uh, police, uh, the, the good trade situation is due to the Roman emperor. You know, don't be a hypocrite about this. But then he said, render to God what is God's. If the coinage with Caesar's image on it was in fact Caesar's coinage, what is the coinage of God? In his own image he made the male and female. That the coinage of God is the human person. It is stamped with the image of God. Thus it belongs to God. It's his coinage. Pay that tax to God by honoring the image of God in people. I remember the soup kitchen at St. Thomas. We were honoring the image of God in the people we served. We, we weren't trying to convert them. We weren't trying to uh, uh, change them. We weren't even trying to help them. We were honoring the image of God. People say, well, this is enabling behavior. You're just enabling alcoholics. So these people are drug addicts and alcoholics. Come to your soup kitchen. I actually got criticism for the soup kitchen because it was enabling behavior. Well, no, well, that's fine. Maybe it was. We were honoring the image of God. It was a dimension of worship. Every human, you know, there are certain strains of, uh, uh, of, of the faith that, uh, uh, well, certain strains of Christianity that say, no, 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 the image of God was completely eliminated by the fall, uh, by, by the sin of Adam and Eve. And we Catholics say, no, it wasn't. It's buried under sin, but it's still there. And we honor the, the residual image of God. Thus, we see in the gospel, I'm probably going to go long. Oh, I always do. Well, whatever. So uh, this Zacchaeus, who was Zacchaeus? He was a tax collector. Well, Nobody likes a tax collector, especially the time of Christ. They had recently reformed the Roman tax system, but not by much. They had a tax farming system. If uh, I, the Romans would say, all right, we're auctioning off the position of tax collector uh, um, for the town of Jericho. Um, we're looking for a million sesterces, I don't know how much that would be worth a million denarii uh, in taxes from this town and you'd auction it off so I can give you a million two hundred I can give you a million four hundred and the person who promised the most got the deal the problem was if you didn't collect enough you had to pay it out of your own resources if you collected more than enough you got to keep the surplus if you promised a million four and you got a million six well there was two hundred thousand in your pocket and, well, how did you ensure it? And you had Roman soldiers to enforce your tax assessment. Some poor widow with 10 kids would come and say, I simply can't pay the tax. You got 10 kids, sell a couple of them. They would literally sell uh, widows and orphans into slavery. And they were despised. They were excommunicated. Uh, and they were, they were to be treated like non-Jews, like Gentiles. Well, Jesus went to, now, now people will use this as an excuse. And in my youth, I'm sure I use this as an excuse to, to enjoy the, 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 the gatherings of the reprobate. You know, those, those reprobates can throw a nice party. Well, this short little fellow wants to catch a glimpse of Jesus 
And uh, Jesus looks up in the sycamore tree and he calls him by name and says, Zacchaeus, I'm staying at your house today. And he goes down. Well, he's gone to stay at the house of a sinner. He's, he's eating and drinking the profits of this disreputable tax collector. Well, he wasn't that bad. <laughs> he said, I, half of my possessions I give to the poor. And I, anything I've extorted uh, excessively, I will pay it four times over. So if you do the math, at most one-eighth of his wealth had been extorted, if if he's being honest here. So there's still this extortion, but uh, people say, nonsense, horrible, you know, this is the enemy. And he says, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a descendant of Abraham. The son of man has come to seek to save what is lost. What does it mean that he's a descendant of Abraham? Well, uh, I looked it up and of course have lost it. But Abraham had a lot of children, you know. I thought, no, 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 he only had the one. He couldn't have kids. Um, oh, no. Let me pull it up again. Um, you know, I pull something up and show prep and then I erase it. Well, he had a lot of, of children. Uh, remember, he had one legitimate son by his first wife, Sarah. And then Sarah dies and he marries Keturah. Uh, and then uh, he had a concubine, Hagar. So Ishmael was his son, not legitimate, but Isaac, we believe, was his firstborn legitimate son. But then he had Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, uh, Ishbak, and Shah. In other words, he had all of these kids, and they all had kids. Uh, that, that Ishmael had become a father of 12 sons himself, and he is considered the father of the 12 tribes of the Arabs. So... The descendants of Abraham were not just what we call Jewish. To be Jewish, to be Israel, meant you were a descendant of of, uh, of Isaac. And what Jesus is saying is, you may call him worse than the Gentiles. I'm saying even the Gentiles are welcome, the non-Jews, because Abraham had a lot of kids and would have more spiritually. So I, I think that's an important um, dimension to this, that uh, no one is beyond the the uh, um, no one is beyond the 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 love of God and the ability of God to adopt them as His children if and embrace His truth. Well, we're going to go to a, a break. We'll come back with. I, I have some pondering to do in in. Uh, uh, the mass hysteria. So we'll we'll talk about mass hysteria when I get back. Then we will uh, open the phones at eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine. That's eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine. We'll be right back. The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com/forester. Well, you know what time it is. It's gotten to be a regular feature. It's time for Mass Hysteria. Dogs and cats living together. Mass Hysteria. I had an interesting weekend. I went to a wedding uh, that was... Um, um, it was uh, a relative, and it was lovely. The the bride, and just a little bit of a shout out to uh, to uh, 
the new Mr. and Mrs. Kircher. <laughs> this was a, a Honoria, um, a lovely girl, and uh, devout. I mean, we're so delighted. I mean, she's devoutly Catholic, but she's Byzantine, and so. The wedding was a combination of the Byzantine wedding service and and the Roman, uh, the Roman rite. But what was most remarkable to me was the beauty of of the chant. And we did there was a lot of chant. The Byzantines. I'm talking about chant. The Byzantine chant, which is not dissimilar to the chant we do, is is uh, um, it's. Uh, but it was in English. It wasn't in as part of her background as Ukrainian. But this was in English. But there was a wonderful group, and I can't think of the name. Are they called the Fiorentini? Oh gosh, I, I'll, I'll I'll get me a card. I'll have to to get that card and um, talk about it. But they even did some old Roman chant. It was beautiful, and and it was something in which everyone could participate. You know, all these Westerners, <laughs> all these Roman right people. After they heard the chant twice, they're singing along, Lord have mercy. You know, I can't repeat it now, but it was just so singable that you couldn't help but join in the participation in the Mass, uh, in, in, in the different litanies that the Byzantines use. But then I went to Mass. I think every priest on a regular basis should go to Mass, not celebrate the Mass. I mean, it is an honor beyond... Uh, telling to to be able to celebrate the holy sacrifice of the mass but i think it's important that we go to mass brothers who i'm speaking to my fellow clergy and i think bishops should go to mass on occasion you know put on a civvies and a strange wig and sit in the back row because you know we're only looking from the altar to the back our perspective is completely different and you know it's just it's a good thing to go to mass i always quote the scripture text what you hate do to no one um the sermon i i went of course to sunday mass i did not can celebrate i went as a as a congregant i i, I wore uh, uh my priest's uniform my roman collar but but i i knelt with my family and my relatives and and uh the mass was beautiful and but i realized that the mass was overpowered by the choir for good or for ill that the input at least as far as the congregation is concerned was really more formed by the choir and the music director because it was through the music that the congregation enters into the liturgy and i went it was a very in my family, this branch of the family, they are very pious people and, and very devoted. Um, but we went to this Mass, and I noticed that the hymns that they played, they played praise music. That's what people are calling it these days. And I thought, this is abs I love praise music. I'm an old Pentecostal. I praise music. Oh, you just hear a melody and sing those words about me and Jesus, and you'll want to melt. It's so beautiful. But it's absolutely inappropriate for the Mass. It was all me, me, Jesus, and me, and Jesus loves me, and Jesus saved me. It wasn't even Jesus and us. And the Mass, I've said this a thousand times by now, look at the word you. When you get 
from the even in in the first half of the mass, the liturgy of the word, uh, and it really is that's half of the mass. It's 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 instructional, uh, but even that is full of the word you. But then when you get to the offertory on, it's almost all you, and it's almost all addressed to the Father. There's there's so little me in the mass. It's all a uh, it's a sacrifice addressed to the Father, and the music that we tend to use is utterly narcissistic. It's me and Jesus and Jesus and me, and and then you've got the the progressivist music, which is we're the best things in sliced bread, you know. We're the church. We're the future. So you got those two strains going on. The the oh, I feel so good about Jesus. Jesus loves me. And you got the, I'm really special, God has called me to save the world. Neither of those strains of music, no matter how moving the melody, is appropriate for Mass. This really struck me as a congregant. And the dominating, you know, even the Our Father had to be sung to a pleasant melody. It, The, the guitar accompaniment to the Our Father it kind of de-chanted it, 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 it changed the tempo. It changed. First, I've never heard a guitar accompaniment to the Our Father when I did at this particular mass, and it was just irritating because it it took away the chant quality of it. I had to follow the choir director. I didn't follow the text of the Our Father as you do in a chant. Remember, the point of chant is that the music is conformed to the text, the text of Scripture. Mass is supposed to be so much Bible. And when you do this, either the praise music or the progressive music, it's not the Bible anymore. It might have biblical themes or be an adaptation of a psalm or an adaptation of a biblical theme, but it's subtly but strongly changed. So it, it was an interesting experience. It, you know, I've been since I've retired. I've been to. I've, I've gone to mass maybe ten or fifteen times. You know, I, I tend to say mass every day, and and um, then uh, there are opportunities to to join in saying Mass on the weekend, but uh, I think it's good to go to Mass. I've gone to Mass a lot, and somebody's talking about Eucharistic renewal, and we really need it, and we got to be faithful to the text. we got to be faithful to the sacrificial nature of the Mass and realize the Mass is you, 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 Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, and Holy Spirit. It isn't me, me, me. That really struck me. And it wasn't that they, these are bad people. These are wonderful people. They clearly love the Lord. But after 40 or 50 or 60 years of really bad catechesis and not knowing what the Mass is about, um, uh, well, we really need work. Because if the Mass is the summit and source of the, the Catholic life, we're in huge trouble. Because from what I'm seeing... People don't understand that Mass is the sacrifice of Calvary to which I join myself. At any rate, that's just my opinion. All right, we are going to go to letters now. Oh, boy. All right. Oh, I still have a lot of the voice in my head's asking. I still have letters left after after all the letters. Oh, boy, do I have letters left. And I think I can get through some of these really quickly and efficiently. Yeah, right. Oh, dear. This is from John. The Saint, the Saint Gertrude the Great Prayer in the Pieta 
says that if repeated, it would release 1,000 souls from their suffering in purgatory. If this simple prayer is so powerful and helps in so many souls in purgatory, why does the church not encourage the prayer more? And why do we not say in Mass? Because, you see, we're not sure that it's true. Now, I'm going to get a lot of unhappy people about this, but I saw it in a book with an imprimatur. Nothing wrong with saying it. It may get a 1,000 souls out of purgatory, and it's a beautiful prayer. However, it is not part of the deposit of faith. And Gertrude, St. Gertrude, uh, wrote a, a number of things, and uh, we don't know what she really wrote. After her death, Gertrude's works disappeared. Uh, I think five manuscripts of her writings survived, and the earliest one comes from 1412, and, and Gertrude the Great lived in the 1200s. So uh, we don't know that this these actually are a, uh, from St. Gertrude the Great. And even if they were, they're not part of the deposit of faith. Um, the, 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 uh, she was very popular in 17th century France. And St. Philip Neri and St. Francis de Sales recommended the prayers to others. Uh, the Bishop of, of Tarragona in Spain uh, was big on them and... and uh, it's just they're wonderful prayers, but we they're not part of the deposit of faith. And very interestingly, Pope Leo the Thirteenth said that any prayer uh, um, uh, that promises uh, to free souls from purgatory by this recitation, they were prohibited by Leo the Thirteenth. Can you imagine that? In in uh, uh, um. Uh, that would have been in the 19th century. So why don't we add them to the Mass? Simply put, they may be wonderful prayers, and they may actually do what the tradition says they do, but it is not a sacred tradition. It isn't, it is not, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not saying don't say the prayer to St. Gertrude. I'm hoping that it's it's the real thing, and it may be, but it's not part of the deposit of faith, and it isn't part of, of the Catholic faith in its in its profoundest um, substructure, I know that's going to make a lot of people unhappy. But I'm always telling you that no matter how great a saint, if there's a private revelation, it's still a private revelation, not part of the deposit of faith. And we don't even know that these prayers actually were revealed to Saint Gertrude the Great. We have no real record of them before 200 years after she died. I'm sorry. Okay, moving on. Now that I've I've uh, uh, ruined your day with what may have been your, your favorite devotion, keep praying it. It can't hurt. Okay, <laughs> that's all right. Uh, this is uh, from Joan. I am disappointed that All Saints Day today is not deemed a holy day of obligation. I know it is one of the six laws of the Church that we attend Mass on Sundays and Holy Days of Obligation. It would have been a grave sin 30 years ago to miss Mass on November 1st, but now how do we go from mortal sin to no sin? On a lighter note, who's your favorite saint? Well, again, this is about obedience, that 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 there are certain rules that are disciplinary rules, and one can alienate oneself from God and the church by disobedience of disciplinary rules. But again, this is not uh, one of the Ten Commandments. 
<laughs> well, what about uh, keep holy the Lord's day? Well, God gave us the bishops who will tell us which are the days of obligation, and we're bound to obey unless there is serious reason not to, such as illness. However, it doesn't necessarily flow from the law that we received on Mount Sinai. On Lennon, who's my favorite saint? You know, whenever I think of my favorite saint, got bunches of them, but I think St. Thomas More, especially for our times. I'll never forget that wonderful movie, uh, Man for All Seasons. It's an adaptation of a play in which when they finally convict, because of false witness, they finally convict Thomas More, he shouts, I am on trial because I would not assent to the marriage, the marriage of Henry VIII with Anne Boleyn. And we Catholics are on trial because we will not assent to what the modern world wants to call marriage. So I think Thomas More is a saint for our times. And if you don't haven't read or seen uh, um, Man for All Seasons, do. Uh, it's wonderful. I was in. I was filmed in the 1960s. I think excellent. Okay, let's see. Oh, this this is a tough one. Is a Catholic wife expected to stay married if her husband receives a decades-long prison sentence for murder? I'm not going to say who sent that. Uh, It's uh, anonymous and reasonably. If it's a valid marriage, yes, it's till death do us part. However, my suspicion is that if this man was a murderer, he is also a liar and was dishonest in his... uh, uh, either dishonest or mentally unbalanced in his uh, uh, attempt to marry. So I would talk to my pastor about the possibility of an annulment. An annulment is not a Catholic divorce. An annulment is saying it might have been a wonderful uh, wedding, but there was no marriage because there was uh, a bad intention. When you marry in the Catholic Church, you're saying, I will be faithful to my wife. I will marry. I will be married to her for the her, her whole life. I will accept children, and I'm doing this freely. So, if one of those uh, contractual points of the covenant is in is, is is not true, then the marriage never happened. There was never a spiritual bond. Talk to your pastor about it. Um, remember, annulment is not Catholic divorce. Divorce is saying there was a, there was a marriage. The marriage is over. Annulment is saying there was never a marriage. Uh, and if a person was capable of the heinous crime of a free will murder, that person probably didn't have the mental capacity or the honesty uh, to enter into the covenant of marriage. That would be my suspicion. Talk to your pastor. All right, we are going to go to a break. I will come back uh, in just a few moments and we'll go to the word of the day and we will. Uh, um, Take phone calls at 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. I saw the light, I saw the light, no more darkness, no more. My, the voice in my head suggested I tell a joke. It's been a long time since I've told a joke, and and uh, this would be a good time for a joke. So this this uh, this little old lady's walking her beloved grandchild by the by the beach, and a, a great wave comes and sweeps the child away, 
And she falls for you and says, Lord, you got to give this child back. This is the apple of our eye. How will I tell his parents? And another wave deposits the child wet but unhurt on the beach. And the old woman lifts her hands to heaven and says, he was wearing a hat, you know. <laughs> I think that's a good joke. Let's move on. Where are we? The word of the day. All right. The word of the day, I've shared this before, but I want to share it again, because at this wedding, they read, being brave young uber-Catholics, uh, that uh, uh, Charles and Honoria read uh, uh, <clears throat> the uh, reading from Ephesians, wives should submit to their husbands as to the Lord. I maintain the biggest word in the Bible, the most important word, almost, is as. How dare the, 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 the scriptures say that chauvinistic point that a woman should submit to a man? Well, it's not saying that. It's saying as to the Lord, not as to an owner, not as to a slave driver, not as to some uh, generalissimo, but as to the Lord. And the husband should love his wife as Christ loves the church. How did Christ love the church? He died for her. That was not the view of marriage in the ancient world. It was a battle, as G.K. Chesterton said, marriage is a battle um, to the death, to which no honorable man will, will decline. But that idea of, of, of the battle of the sexes, it isn't, it isn't biblical. As Jesus doesn't want us to love one another. He wants us to love one another as he loved us. This involved a cross and nails and a crown of thorn. Uh, uh, so as... Whenever you see a reading that makes you crazy, look for the as, because the scripture is saying, well, this is how things are in the world. Look at how they should be in the kingdom. You take something that the world takes for granted, and you add the as, as to the Lord, as in the Lord, as for the Lord. It changes everything. As, the most important word in, in the Bible, possibly. All right, let's go to phone calls. The phone is ringing. And who have we got on the phone? Joseph from Nashville. Are you with us? What can I do for you? I, I am, Father. I've got a question very closely related to today's mass hysteria. Um, so our, uh, my pastor, very, very good man, cares very deeply for his flock. Um, we were, so I, I'm trying to figure out how to broach the subject of maybe changing the music in the church a little bit. Hmm. Um, and, um, my understanding is, um, in Sacrosanctum Concilium, it says that any singing in the first person representing God that's not in the Psalms is not allowed. Yes, that's because we're divinizing ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. My, my question is, how do I ask him, hey, can we never sing I Am the Bread of Life again? Ooh. Yeah, I know, it's a toughie. It's a toughie. Oh, that's one of the great charismatic anthems, and I'm a great charismatic, and it's you're oh, absolutely no. right. It, when we When we sing songs in the first person, uh, that we are divinizing ourselves. We should sing, he is the bread of life. Um, I don't know how you broach it. Are you close to your pastor? Close enough. Like, you ever take him out for a beer if he, if he can, if he does that sort of thing? Yeah, I can. He, he certainly does. Well, take him out for a beer and say, father, 
I got an issue. I hope you don't mind. You know, you know, I, 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 I don't want to cause trouble, but I, I really have a hard time with this. And um, then, I don't know, <laughs> make him listen to some mass hysteria that they probably won't like you then. <laughs> but, uh, um, uh, you know, I, I would, I would, you know, you, you know, you can't. I always say in the great commandment, it says, love God and love your neighbor. No, that's not the great commandment. The great commandment is hero Israel, love God and love your neighbor. You can't, um, you can't love some without, he- without hearing them. And so I would get into the habit of listening to your pastor, not just listening to what he says you should do, but listen to the man. He's, you know, the, I, 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 the priesthood in our times has, has gotten very strange and he could probably use a good listening to get to know him well. And then when you're in that position of trust, say, you know, I don't want to make your life harder, but I really have a problem with this. And, and um, you know, I think we need to look at the music in church and make it Catholic instead of make it, you know, the sort of post-Reformation romanticism. So get to know him first. That would be my suggestion. I hope that helps a little. Okay. It's, it's not going to happen in the next week or two, but it might happen in six right. months or a year. Uh, and be sincere yeah. about it. I mean, this guy is probably, you know, uh, I always, we, we priests tend to cringe when we hear a phone ring because no one ever calls us with good news. I just call to say things are going well. Your sermon was great. It made my marriage better. Just thought you'd like to know. Nobody calls with those phone calls. It's like, Father, and you said in the sermon, I don't agree with you. Okay. You know, now I'm just, I'm not a pastor anymore, so I have these problems, but I would, I would love it with, uh, when, when I would be standing in the, in, in the vestibule dressed in my, in my ancient Roman finery, and someone would come up and say, Father, the toilet in the ladies' room is leaking with two minutes to go to Mass. I would, (laughs) I, I would just look at them and say, uh, golly, that's unfortunate. Put out a sign and declare it a miraculous <laughs> fountain. I don't know, uh, um, you know. So you want you want to not be the bearer of bad tidings, but be the bearer. You know, how can I help you in this, Father? Uh, so I think that's a different approach. That that um, you know. Uh, that that so many people again uh, anger of man does not work the righteousness of god uh but sometimes you know a beer does <laughs> i i i joke I, well not really uh when we when we come at our pastors with this you know what you got to do father oh please lord so uh um try that approach it might work uh, and you want to build up the community of the faithful and uh but yeah, then the narcissistic uh, narcissistic church music has got to end. It just got to. Uh, it's 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 bad stuff. So uh, does that help a little? It does. Could I add a part two to that? Oh sure, why not? Um, so I, I've got a friend who does music ministry at uh, mm-hmm. another church in our diocese, um, and they do a lot of praise and worship. They do a lot of. Um, you, the the very the the newer praise and worship. Yeah. That, you know, very hyper sentimental. Yes, yes. The me music. Call it the me music. It's not praise music. Me music. It's me music about how Jesus loves me. Oh, you do that me yeah. music. What do you mean uh, me music? Yeah, it's all about me. <laughs> yeah, me music. Okay. And, and, and I, have I him think look, that look at the, the question because I was trying to figure out how to like direct that conversation with him. Yeah. Oh, you uh, do that me music. That's really nice music. The <laughs> me music. It sounds so good. I'm sure people really uh, like it. You know, masses. Interesting. What we yeah. Like. 
Yeah, call it me music every time it comes up. Oh, I like that. That okay. was really a great me song. I liked it. it talked about me. I like it when we talk that about me. <laughs> Sarcasm can go a long way. Uh, yes. All right. Hope that helps. Thanks for listening to me. All right. Who we got now, dear voice in my head? Andrew from Austin. Are you with us, Andrew? Yes. Hi, Father. Um, I have a quick question. In the Gospel on Sunday, the last line, um, I actually, I can pull it up here on my phone. Um, the last line was, but of that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, yes. but only the Father. Yes. And so I thought, you know, uh, the Father and the Son are one, and mm -hmm. I thought Absolutely. Jesus knows everything. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So how could it be that you know no one knows, not even the Son, but only the Father? Can Philippians, you me the second make my chapter. Head around that? Sure, Philippians, the second chapter. Though he was in the form of God, he did not deem equality with God something to grasp at. Rather, he emptied himself and took the form of a slave. In other words, Jesus laid the rights and prerogatives of divinity on the throne in heaven and became a man like us in all things but sin. Uh, he, you, you see, God is not knowledge. God has all knowledge. God. Uh, is not all power. He has all power. God is love. Jesus of Nazareth, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, never ceased to be in that relationship, which is constitutive of God, the, the love of Father and Son. However, he, in his humility, laid aside the rights and privileges of divinity. In his divinity, he knew all things, but he closed his eyes to his divinity in a certain sense and became like us in all things but sin. He never ceased to be God, though he did uh, put his divine powers on hold. And when he worked miracles, it wasn't because, I believe it wasn't because he was God, but because he was the new Adam, the obedient son of the Father, who never did anything the Father didn't tell him to do. You know, he only knew what the Father was pleased to tell him in his humanity, in his perfect humanity. Uh, uh, so, uh, though he was in the form of God, he did not deem equality with God something to be grasped at, but humbled himself. Read Philippians, the second chapter. That's the amazing thing about Christianity. We say, we believe that God is humble, and that's breathtaking. I know of no other religion in the world that talks about the humility of God. Does that help a little? It, it, it does. I mean, it actually helps a lot. Um, Good. I guess... So my question, but my question then would become, though, how does he know? I mean, in other times we're told he knows what they were thinking. Yes, because um, the father told him. The father allowed him uh, to know that because it was part of the father's plan for him. You know, that the, the father, through the Holy Spirit, instructed him in all he needed to know. And because he was the new Adam and perfectly human, we're imperfectly human. He was perfectly human. He was attuned to the voice of, of the Father in a way that that I will not be ever, even in glory. God willing, I get the glory. So, yeah, I mean, that idea that he humbled himself and that we have a humble God is at the heart of our faith. And speaking of humility, Drew is coming up. Don't go anywhere.